0: Hello and welcome to Stowe Talks, a podcast designed to support people going through a relationship breakdown and all the challenges this brings. I'm Matthew Taylor.
1: And I'm Lisa Gatchell, family lawyers at Stowe Family Law. And today we are joined by special guest, Claire Black. Claire is a leading divorce coach, NLP master practitioner, and author of Breakup from Crisis to Confidence, which has been described as the essential guide for anyone facing a sudden breakup or divorce. She's also a single mum to two boys in their late teens, Twice divorced, Claire brings all her personal experience to her coaching, supporting clients through their roller coaster of separation and breakup and beyond into new, fulfilling and vibrant lives, looking at how to handle fear and uncertainty through your relationship breakdown and beyond. It is lovely to have you with us today, Claire. Can you start by just um, giving us a bit of background to you?
2: Of course, thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so, yeah, as you just said, I've been divorced twice. My first divorce um, was about 15 years ago and was very, very sudden. So um, just a very brief um, synopsis. I was, we were watching Holby City together and I asked my husband if he was okay. And he said, no, I'm not. I've been seeing someone else. And I now see my life as kind of before that moment and after that moment. Um, life changed in a split second. Essentially, our children were three and one. They were asleep upstairs at the time. And I remember sliding down the wall in a kind of thing that I thought people only did in movies um and I actually even remember having that thought I thought people only did this in films um and all these thoughts kind of swirling around my head the first one after the thought about sliding down the wall was if I go out to my neighbours you can't leave so I I ran to my neighbours and stayed there for a couple of hours when I came back he had a, a suitcase packed and was ready to go and I came in the door and he went out the door um and then after that, there were a whole series of questions. How will I cope on my own? Will our children be damaged by this? How am I going to manage financially? Am I going to be able to stay in my house? Um, I lost loads of weight, didn't sleep, um, got IBS symptoms, all kinds of things. But I knew that I didn't want this to define me. I knew that I didn't want to, sw- to sink. I wanted to swim um, and so I started slowly, slowly taking back control of, of my life. Um, it felt very much out of control to start with. And I started to to put little things in place that would help me take back control, thinking about what I was wearing, um, thinking about where I was shopping, thinking about um, things that I wanted to do and stuff that I wanted to learn. Um, and I started trying to smile at every opportunity um, because I, I had discovered that that would release endorphins. So I created myself strategies to get through. Um, My second divorce was very different. So my second divorce was my choice. Um, I remarried in 2016 um, and got divorced again last year. Um, The most challenging parts in my second divorce were the kind of the fear around how my ex-husband was going to react. I I felt terribly guilty about hurting someone who who was close to me. But again, I knew I wanted it to be dignified. I knew I wanted it to be civilized and I knew that I wanted to steer my ship really steadily through whatever might be thrown at me. And so that's what I've done both times effectively. So I've got experience from both sides of the coin. You know, I've been in a situation where I've been left very suddenly and I've also been in the situation where for a couple of years I was thinking I don't think this is right. And having to make that very difficult decision um, to instigate a separation. Okay,
0: so clearly that must be really advantageous for your clients. If it's incredibly difficult for you, if you can show things from both sides of, uh, of both sides of the coin, as it were. I think that if we break it down into what you go through, obviously in divorce, is this huge maelstrom of emotions where everything's going on at once, and that leads to the topic for today's fear and uncertainty. So maybe let's start with the sort of fears, which is I guess that sort of primal reaction. But specifically, when we look at fears in divorce. Are there some common fears that you think are pretty common to most people you know are there some ones that you really identify that that kind of hit everyone
2: yeah there are i think there are um some people are very um fearful almost of feeling the emotions that that come with divorce because they can be very powerful um and I have a lot of clients who are afraid that their emotions are very overwhelming and that can sometimes lead to sort of unhealthy coping strategies like throwing yourself into working 24-7 or drinking too much or going out partying, you know, that kind of thing, or keeping yourself so busy that you exhaust yourself. Another common fear is that people are afraid that because this marriage has has not worked out that they're going to be on their own forever, that, that they're not perhaps going to find somebody else who will ever love them again. There's the fear as well of not having enough money financially um, for many people Um, and fear of the future, because the future is very unclear when you start this process, even whether you're the person who's initiated it or the person who's on the receiving end of this news. You know that the future, you don't know what it looks like. You're losing the future that you believed you had and the future that um, you dreamed of. Um, And so the future is very unclear. And then, of course, there's if you've got children, there's fear around how this process will affect them, um, and a, a fear that that children will somehow be damaged by the process. So those are some of the the common fears that I see in in my clients, and that I felt myself. Fear can fear is obviously
1: an, an a feeling, but it can produce some quite um, scary physiological reactions as well, can't it? With the flight or fight response, can you go through? um what somebody that's that's feeling although those things might might be experiencing
2: yeah of course so um that that kind of um primitive emotional response to a perceived threat leads us into kind of that fight flight freeze and I, I like a fourth one as well fawn response um where that was all very useful if you're facing um a lorry that's coming towards you when you're crossing the road or something like that but in divorce there are there are constant Worries and anxiety, so you can find yourself in a in a um, almost a permanent state of being in that fight, flight, freeze, fawn response, um, and that can lead to raised cortisol, which can. I mean, I was talking to a client earlier who's broken out in psoriasis. Um, it can lead to, um, in my case, kind of IBS type symptoms. Um, lots of my clients really struggle to sleep, or they struggle to um, eat properly. Um, to concentrate and to focus, and that—that's a big issue at work. Of course, you know, not being able to focus at work, and I think there are quite scary statistics around. I think productivity at work when you're going through a divorce drops by something like 42%. Um, the statistics show. Um, so that kind of those fears and those physical reactions can can lead us to to be paralysed really, and and make it very difficult to make really good decisions. Um, and unfortunately you need to start making good decisions when you're going through this process as well.
1: How can someone manage those fears? What are the coping strategies that they can put in place to help them?
2: So there are, there are a lot. So um, one of the, the the things around feeling your emotions is to start to recognize what they are. So I use an emotions wheel with a lot of my clients to help them to actually identify what the feelings are that they're, they're actually feeling. So um am I like Paul McKenna's um, comparison of emotions being like visitors at the door. So they knock on the door and they're trying to tell you something. And if you don't listen to them or let them in, then they knock even louder. And if you don't listen to them and let them in, they knock even louder and eventually they kind of burst through the door. So I I like to think, okay, what what is this emotion that's knocking on my door right now? Is it anger? Is it sadness? Um, Is it, um, is it something else? Is it fear? Is it loneliness? Let's invite it in. We might, let it stay for a cup of tea we might let it stay for a meal you know so invite those emotions in acknowledge what they are identify them accept that you've got them and one of the strategies I teach a lot of my clients is riding the wave of those emotions so if you imagine that you're a surfer and you're paddling your board out to sea and you can see a wave coming towards you so it's a wave of whatever emotion it is rather than trying to ride your board through the wave or over the wave or under the wave which is going to get you knocked off turn your board and imagine that you ride that wave into the shore and as we all know waves always break they always land on the shore and you can ride that wave in and imagine it washing over you you land on the shore and then you can feel the sand under your feet you can feel the sun on your back you can practice some breathing techniques perhaps um, you know breathing in um, deeply and slowly to kind of calm that emotional response and then you can start to think okay how can I advance from here what can I actually do Um, To move on from this. So that's one of the um, the strategies I use with clients around emotions. Another of the ways in which fear comes out for for a lot of my clients is kind of the what ifs. You know, what if, and it's always the worst thing, what if this awful thing happens? What if my ex-partner does this or that or the other? Or what if I lose my home? What if, what if, what if? Um, And those can also keep you paralysed in a very uncomfortable place. So I like to challenge my clients to turn those what ifs around, turn them on their head. So rather than thinking, what if the worst happens? What if actually this turns out to be one of the best things that ever happened to me? What if my children are okay? What if I can cope? What if I'm successful? What if, um, you know, change it into something that, that leads you down a different path? And um, I talk about the what if tree so you can choose what what if tree you water so you can water your what if tree with lots of negative what ifs and you can create a tree that's very dark. that has got lots of leaves that doesn't let the sunshine through or you can water your what if tree with lots of positive thoughts around what if this is successful? What if I what if I this works? Um, and you can create a different tree with golden leaves that lets the sunshine through and the flowers can grow underneath. And I, I really like working with those kind of analogies. Um, to help you think through fear.
0: Yeah, I think that's really useful. So I'm now going to ask a negative what if question. Um, <laughs> oh, because you've got the phrase in my head. Um, what, what if you are dealing with all these fears and then you are dealing with an ex-partner who is deliberately or subconsciously exacerbating those fears? So we've seen clients where you have, you know, a spouse, an ex-partner who can say you won't have enough money to live on you know, you won't have someone who loves you again, you, you have this post separation abuse often in cases, how because that must make it even harder if you're fighting against the internal what if and then you're getting that um, kind of reinforced externally? How do you deal with that?
2: One of the really important things to remember right through this whole process is also what you can and can't control. Um, so you can't control what your ex partner says or does, but you can control whether you let it in and whether you hear it. So I talk to clients about putting on their their slopey coat with really slopey, slippery shoulders um, or living inside a bubble. So every time they see their ex-partner, they put on their space bubble, um, which repels the words that are coming in, which keeps them safe inside. So I, I love using these kind of imaginary things, but also thinking about what you can control. You can control your thoughts. You can control your reactions. You can control your breathing. You can control what you do and what you say. Um, so breathing is a really important one to bring in in these, in these scenarios because it, it, it soothes that emotional response. So if you can breathe, breathe slowly, breathe deeply, and count at the same time. So I often say count to five as you breathe in, hold for two, count for seven, as it count to seven as you breathe out. You can't think and count all at the same time so that kind of gives your brain a little bit of a rest and if you can use that breathing and get used to doing that then you can start thinking to yourself whenever your ex is saying something that's that's digging in like that stop breathe and think and then another strategy that i use is discretionary engagement that's what one of my clients coined this phrase a couple of years ago discretionary engagement is you always have choice around how you respond when you respond and whether you respond to anything that comes into your inbox or anything that you hear, you, you don't have to respond straight away. And often clients are in a, a situation where they're used to responding to their ex, especially if they're very challenging. They're used to responding them, to them very, very quickly. And sometimes we have to kind of feel the fear and do it anyway and not respond immediately and not respond to the maybe the personal attacks that are included perhaps in, in that email. Um, and I always say to people, leave it 24 hours. If you can leave things for 24 hours, sleep on it, because your brain will process um, while you're sleeping um, and then develop a strategy for your response. Um, it's very easy to see everything through a lens of fear when you're going through this process. So develop a strategy to handle any correspondence and to handle um, things that your ex might say. So you might need to think of some exit lines. You might need to think of some things that you can say, I don't want to talk about this right now. I need to go in and take some advice for example, um, and practice saying those things. And then with correspondence, print things out, get it on paper in front of you and then get a big black pen and put a line through everything that you don't need to respond to or that's a personal attack and just highlight anything that does need answering and then stick to that and keep your answers kind of brief, informative, firm and fair, and um, Biff. Um, that's a, a quite a commonly used um, strategy. So all of those things are you taking back control over your actions and behaviors and taking back control over your brain
1: that's really helpful i'm just wondering matt did you do the breathing exercise when claire was talking about it because i did
0: <laughs> i did i did try to but i had a what if i stopped breathing while i was doing it so i clearly need to work on my what if tree
1: <laughs> i think you do <laughs> no that's i mean that's such helpful information um oh, i want to say what if now picking up yeah you've, you've like highlighted it. it makes you Makes
2: you like catch <laughs> it now. Yeah, now that you're aware, of course um, you can't unsee it. Yes, yeah, it's funny, <laughs> oh, yeah,
1: yeah. isn't it? Uh, absolutely. Talking then about children and dealing with their fears and uncertainty, are there any coping strategies that that parents can can do to help them through this this time?
2: Yeah, I think one of the big things is, I mean, I don't buy into this whole um, divorce necessarily damages children. Um, I think certainly conflict is damaging to children, but divorce per se, is, I don't think absolutely is not damaging to children at all if it's done well. I think in terms of coping strategies, the best thing you can do um, as an individual, again, is be in control of your stuff. So be the best parent you can be on your time. So I work quite often with clients to to look at what kind of parent do they want to be? What kind of parent do you want to be when the children are with you? And then hold that in the forefront of your mind. You can't always control what the other parent does, but you can absolutely control what you're doing. Um, And you can also make sure that your children know that you are there. I mean, obviously it depends how old they are, but you're there to answer any questions that they might have, that you'll always listen to them, that it's okay for them also to have feelings. So I've had clients use the emotions wheel that I use with them, with their children too, to help them to identify what it is that they're feeling, because they will also be going through a, a grieving process. Um, at the end of, of the family as they know it, um, and I also think children will follow your lead. So if you can find upsides in the situation, um, they will also be able to find upsides in the situation. Whereas if you are bitter and angry and you vocalise that, then it's 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 easy for them to to take that on and see this as a very bad thing. But you can you can lead and the children will follow.
0: I think that that's really solid advice, and, and children. You know, we say time and time again on these these podcasts that we do, children pick up on things. Um, and, and we all know it. And I think when you're in the middle of divorce, it's maybe a bit harder to see that um, because you've got so much going on. And I think that leading so your children can follow and setting that example role modeling for your children can be incredibly important. And that can help you as well deal with things. Um, it gives you a bit of, I suppose this takes on to the next point. If you can provide that certainty for the children that you're there and that you're going to be the best that you can be, it's going to help them reduce their fears. So what can people do, kind of linking the two topics, and how do fear and uncertainty play against each other? Is it uncertainty that leads to fear? And if so, how can you create uncertainty at what is an incredibly uncertain time?
2: So I think um, the, the big thing to do is to start small. So it, there are lots and lots of uncertainties when you're, when you're going through this process. So start really small. So start to think about... Um, <clears throat> Uh take some certainty around your environment, for example. So I've had clients who have changed things around in their home so that it feels different. Um, look at what you're wearing every day. So wear clothes that reflect how you want to feel rather than how you actually feel, because what you wear can help you to feel better. Um, focus on the things that absolutely are within sight, uh, are within your control rather than the things that aren't. I think that's, that's the place to start. Start really small, so start with what you're wearing, start with how you're standing. You know, If you can stand tall and put your shoulders back, you're going to feel better than if you look at the ground um, and hunch your shoulders forward, for example. Um, and you can also take control of your mind and you can use this with children as well, so take control of the kind of questions that you're asking yourself in your brain. Um, so your brain, I always think your brain's a bit like Google, so whatever question you ask your brain it will try and answer that question so if you're asking it questions like why is this so awful why do i feel so bad um why is this happening to me your brain's going to try and answer those questions and it's going to come up with all kinds of answers that are really unhelpful um so instead ask questions like what can i do now that i couldn't do before or um what if i knew was one tiny upside in all of this I've had some really interesting answers to that when I've asked clients that question, ranging from I can get up in the middle of the night now and turn the toilet light on in the ensuite. My ex-wife never used to let me to I can now feel safe in my own home. So, you know, there are always upsides if you look for them and you can ask these questions of your children. And um, I often get my clients to stick them up on post-it notes around the house um, because they're easy to forget these questions if you're not used to asking them. Um, another good one is what would be the most helpful thought I could have right now? And what have I done that I'm proud of today? Um, use your wow brain rather than your owl brain. So if you imagine you're climbing a mountain and you get halfway up the mountain, you can look up the mountain and think, oh, my goodness, ow, look how far I've still got to go. It's going to be really difficult. Or you can turn and look down the mountain and think, wow, look how far I've already come. What resources did I use to get here? What have I overcome already and how did I do that? And how can I then use that to take the next steps up the mountain? So taking it one step at a time.
1: Those are really good visualisation exercises. Is there is there something that people could do? If there's somebody listening to this now that's kind of feeling that fear and uncertainty, is there a little exercise that they could start with perhaps just each day um, that they're able to build upon?
2: Yeah, um, so there are, um, there's a couple of things, actually. So I think one thing that you can do each day um, is perhaps start your day with thinking about your intention for that day. So what are you, and how are you intending to be today? Are you intending to be dignified at all times? That was my mantra during my first divorce. you know, every single morning, I'm going to be dignified today. Um, set your intentions every morning. Um, I like to do it as I as I have a shower as well. I think about how am I going to be today? How am I going to stand today? And I kind of practice it, you know, and have a stretch, open yourself up to every morning. And that will that will really help start the day um, in a really good way. And then at the end of the day, I like to um, I keep a journal by the side of the bed and I like to write down three things that went well or three things that I'm grateful for or three things that I'm proud of that I did today or three things that I've learned Um, And then you can look at those again in the morning and remind yourself that actually there are good things happening in your life, as well as this one thing that that is perhaps making it feel like a bit of a um, a disaster at times. Um, So that's that's one um, simple thing that you can do. And then there are other strategies that I use quite often with clients when they're feeling very overwhelmed. So we will get a big piece of paper um, and on that big piece of paper, we will brain dump everything that is overwhelming them. Um, so some of the some of the diagrams we come up with have become quite big um, because there's sometimes lots of things that are overwhelming you. Once you've done that, then I go through it with them and we ask a series of questions. Um, the first one is, um, is this mine to control? Is this my responsibility? And if it's not, then we put a line through it because you can't control those things. So some of the things will disappear off that that brainstorm immediately. Um, The second question might be, what do I need to get clarity on this? Because clarity is the biggest antidote to overwhelm. If you need advice, you need financial advice, perhaps, or you need legal advice, um, go and get it because knowledge is power. Um, The third question might be, what skills do I have to help me with this? Um, What have I done already that was similar? And how could I use those skills now to help me with this particular issue? Um, Who do I know who could help me with this? You know, who do I need to approach? Um, And then lastly, what one or two tiny steps could I take today or this week that would help me move this forward? So it's about chunking the overwhelm into smaller steps that then become much more manageable. Um, And you could do that on a daily basis, I suppose, with a kind of almost like a a to-do list, as long as it didn't get too long. You know, I'm a big fan of let's sort out maybe just three things that I need to do today. And if I do any more than that, that's a bonus. Um, but I'm going to limit it to three that I must do off that list.
0: I think making things manageable and bite size is really key, especially if you're, you know, if you're in a divorce and you're having to deal with, you know, it's stuff with lawyers and the legal process, and making sure your children are okay and keeping the job going and all the emotions that go with it. Making things manageable is 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 really key. Um, I'm really interested, Claire. Perhaps, possibly drawing on your own personal experience as much as with your clients is how it how the fear and uncertainty changes, if at all, when it's something that comes out of the blue, as with your first divorce, and you're not expecting it or something where perhaps, you know, it, it's more your decision? It's does it come in in different ways? Are there commonalities between the two different situations?
2: That's a really interesting question. I think um, a lot of the fears in the first situation where it was all very, much you know, I was taken very much by surprise. It was a massive bolt from the blue. The fears are almost—it's almost intangible. There are so many of them that you almost can't vocalize what what they all are, um, and so it, it's very, very overwhelming. Um, I think in the early days um, of a separation that that wasn't your choice and that you didn't want, mm. um, and so I think in. in in that scenario, it was really important for me to take back little bits of control and to do a few things differently. So like I went and got a haircut, for example. I had long hair um, at the time because I had small children. And I didn't have time to go to the hairdresser. Um, so when my ex-husband had the children for a Saturday, I booked a haircut. I went and had all my hair chopped off again. Um, that actually helped me feel a bit more like me. I'd always had short hair and I'd only grown it because I didn't have time to, to get it cut. but. Those little things, taking back those little bits of control were really, really important. I think in in, in my first um, divorce, I remember talking to a client a couple of years ago and she had been in a, she'd been in a relationship that was quite controlling. And so she was quite afraid of her ex-husband. Um, and I remember her being really angry because he had taken a lot of the possessions that she really valued from the house and in particular he'd taken a lamp that she felt she had chosen and that, that was hers and um, one of the things that helped her get over her fear of him was to reframe that so rather than thinking about what that lamp represented in terms of her um, her anger and her um, her her feelings of resentment towards him I asked her what she'd gained by him by him going and him leaving and she listed off all these things at the top of which was freedom and actually then she realized that what she'd done really was she'd swapped a lamp she'd given him a lamp in return for her own freedom and suddenly the lamp didn't seem important anymore so sometimes we can ask really good questions of ourselves that can help us suddenly see a complete way through some of that fear um my second divorce the fears were I knew I'd been through a divorce before, so I knew that I could survive it. I knew that I could rebuild my life. I knew that I had all those resources. My fears were different because I had a fear of being judged. I had definitely had a fear of, as a divorce coach, how could I possibly have a second failed marriage, if you like? So I had a fear of being judged, which actually hasn't come to fruition at all. I haven't had any judgment from anybody at least not that I'm aware of and what I'm not aware of it doesn't matter um, I also had a fear of how he would react and how his family would react and all those kinds of things um, and actually the antidote for that to that for me was to really focus on what I could control and really focus on steering my own ship steadily through I couldn't control um his reactions I couldn't control how he felt I knew this was right for me and I just needed to hang on really tight to that kind of that steering wheel at the front of my ship and just steer my way through. Um, But it's interesting, some of the things that, that you do become afraid of. I remember being afraid of, well, how will I how will I know what to do with my laptop when it doesn't work properly? You know, my ex-husband was always the person who'd help me fix that. But actually, those fears are usually sortable. Mr. Google is, comes in useful at that point. <laughs> <laughs> but there are often little fears that you have that that rise up that actually you can answer them quite easily for yourself, I think.
0: I think that um, the fear of being judged is an interesting one. And that's one that comes to a lot of people. And I think you used the phrase uh, failed marriage. And that is where a lot of people think of it. And sometimes reframing that is a process that obviously, I know divorce coaches go through a lot, but it's something that we'll talk about with clients. And when they come to us, I will often have a conversation and say, oh, I can't believe there's got a the failed marriage. And you say, well, it's not a failed marriage. Look at all the great things that came out. You've got children, you've got, you know, you built a nice life together. Tell us about a great time that you had. You know, in most marriages, there are some good times. There's a very small minority where, where there isn't. Um, but that kind of the notion of a failed marriage is something that's quite per- pervasive I think in society isn't it
2: yeah it is and that, that I think there's a lot of or there's quite a few phrases like that that I I really don't like so failed marriage is one of them broken home is another one damaged mm-hmm. children is another one um, and I think if we can change the language around the things that we're saying that really helps so I don't see um, my even my second marriages failed because actually i learned a lot i learned a lot about myself um i learned about trusting my own intuition um and i talk about that a lot now with clients you know i knew that this wasn't right for me and i didn't do anything about it for some time and i began to feel very incongruent in my own in my coaching because i was coaching clients who were saying i'm unhappy in my marriage and i'm thinking oh i'm i'm not feeling that i'm really that happy in mine either um, so following my intuition, I think, has been a really big um lesson for me in in my the end of my second marriage. Um and I think that's so important, you know, to look at what you have learned from this. And something that you've learned from isn't a failure. I don't think. Mm. Um and the the broken home one as well. I mean, I blame the media for a lot of this. You know, broken home <laughs> is such an unuseful way to put it. Um so I don't think that my children see our home as broken they actually just think they have two homes. They have a home with me and they have a home with their dad. Um, so it's not broken at all. It's just different and it has a different shape to what it had before.
1: Yeah, we're just also, we're always in comparison, aren't we? It's the whole social media highlight reel. It's kind of, well, mine doesn't look like all of these, um, but you're only seeing the the one snapshot from the day that was perfect. You didn't see the the horrible hundred other things that probably happened during that day um, so yeah it's all about mindset and reframing it
2: yeah and I, you're right I mean, social media really doesn't help this you know but, but but who puts up a picture of the worst part of their day onto social media nobody um, you just you see a snapshot of wonderful family life um, you don't see what goes on perhaps behind closed doors and that's another thing I've you know I've learned over the years is you can you never know what's going on for somebody behind behind the doors.
0: Absolutely, you don't. I think social media is something that comes up a lot. If anyone is keeping a stow Talks podcast bingo card, that is something that would be ticked off from a lot of the <laughs> talks because it can cause huge problems in terms of, especially at a time when you're low self-esteem, when you are fearful, when everything is uncertain, and it's very easy to see that everyone else's life looks perfect. So I think that's a really valid point. Um, Something else that we like to cover on a lot of the podcasts is that me and Lisa are always keen to ask our guests um, is the role of the family lawyers and what can we do that helps on what is a negative thing or what is a negative thing that family lawyers do that that can exacerbate fear and uncertainty. You know, is is there anything in your experience that you think all family lawyers should be either doing or not doing to really help clients get through this uncertain time?
2: Um, There is one thing actually that that, um, I find A lot of clients worry about, and that's the process of divorce, and they don't understand the process and they don't understand that there is a whole plethora of choices between doing your divorce online yourself and not having any assistance and going through a very high conflict court case. you know again probably down to the media to some degree because you know we see it on on the news and we see it in dramas the very high conflict stuff um, and there's a whole range of different options in between and i also find that a lot of clients don't understand the three strands to divorce you know the dissolution of the marriage the children aspect and the financial aspect and they don't understand that those three things are separate but interlinked so um, one thing i think that would really help at the beginning of every conversation that a family lawyer has with um, a client is that this is a totally alien world to most clients. Most clients have never been divorced before. Um, most clients didn't want to be in this position, and they don't understand the process. So, some a really simple flowchart or explanation of the process, I think, would would really really help a lot of people um, to understand exactly what it is that they're they're getting into. The other thing I think people don't understand always is that you can use the court process. um, Once you start it, you don't have to see it through right to the end. You can settle before it finishes. um, And a lot of people don't understand that either. So I think um, a really clear explanation of all the processes right at the beginning would be really beneficial for a lot of people because it's such an alien um, place for them to find themselves, especially when they're feeling overwhelmed and fearful. know a lot of people have never been inside a solicitor's office before and it's scary
1: yeah definitely and it's really interesting because we did a podcast matt and i recently about court and the convey about and knowing that it's not necessarily the the doom and gloom and that once you're on that convey about it doesn't mean that you have to go all the way to the end of it you can kind of jump off at any point if you reach an agreement so yeah it's really interesting and managing those expectations right at the beginning it's also really difficult because i think there is the legal system that we have here dealing with divorce and finances and children, there's no black and white answer Well, to any of it. Well, maybe the divorce. Yes. I mean, that's very straightforward. You know, we can set that out nice and easily. But when we're looking at children and finances, there's a lot of discretion. Um, and what that means is that it creates its own uncertainty. So to a certain extent, you know, we will base our advice on our experience Um but we can't provide any guarantees either. So I'm aware that that probably doesn't assist clients necessarily because they they often come in and they're like, I want to know, can I keep the house? Or I want to know, what's the result going to be with the children? Um, And that's not necessarily an answer that we can give them right at the beginning.
0: No, you end up giving the most irritating lawyer answer in the world, which is, it depends. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I I I will normally frame it in that way. I say, I'm about to give you the most irritating lawyer answer ever. It depends. Yeah the system does feed into the uncertainty part but i think you know any good family lawyer should be able to explain very early you know what is the system what is the process as lisa said there's a couple of other podcasts that we've done which deal with you know the court proceedings how that can work and court is portrayed incredibly negatively in the media and sometimes it can be really negative but it doesn't have to be you can do court and do court well um another podcast that is worth listening to if someone's got questions about the court system the guide that we've done for litigants in person is worth listening to because he set out the process in that about the different hearings. So I completely agree. That should be something if clients are coming away from speaking to a solicitor once or twice, and they still don't know what the system is going to broadly look like, even if they don't have the answer, then something's gone wrong there, I think.
2: Yeah. Um, another thing I think that's really important is to is to have your support network in place for the, the right people for the right things. So um, a lot of my clients um, have previously sort of used their solicitor for sort of emotional support. Um, and actually, I, it sometimes um, I have to, you know, talk to clients about the fact that your solicitor isn't there. They can't give you the answer they can't they can't make the decisions for you but i can help you to sort of look through those decisions and think about where that might take you think about the ramifications of those decisions and think about what other advice you might need so for example you might need to bring a financial advisor on board to to help him work out whether a settlement that that's been proposed is good for you or or not and those kinds of things you know a lot of people i think think that all they need is a lawyer um, and actually, they need a network of people around them to to help them through this.
1: Yeah, they definitely need a team. I, I mean, Matt and I—we're rubbish financial advisors, and we are rubbish Awful. coaches. Even you don't—you don't want to be coming to us for that.
2: I'm a seriously <laughs> terrible financial advisor.
0: Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah, you, yeah, you don't—you don't want to see the state of my finances. Yeah, but that's it. You want people to be experts in the field that they're dealing with, and you know, we've all got our awareness of your limitations is a good thing. And we, we're, we're not great counselors. And we will be empathetic and, and you know, try and help people and guide them through it. But we're not going to be able to, you know, help them with that personal growth that that is something that you'd be able to do, Claire. And I appreciate it's difficult and, uh, and not everyone can afford to get a lawyer and a divorce coach and a financial advisor. But I think if you can find a way to get a little bit of all three, at least, it's really going to help you. And actually, you know, having a financial advisor can reduce your cost of a lawyer. Having a divorce coach can reduce your costs of a lawyer. And you've just got to look at it, it spreading the load around a bit more. Yeah,
2: that, that's absolutely right. I was, I was saying that to um, a client only this morning. You know, when you're working with a financial advisor and you're working with a coach, then you're going to be able to give your solicitor much clearer instructions. And so you're not going to be potentially changing your mind next week because some, because you're afraid of, of the results and you're not going to be, um, you know, breaking down, in your solicitor's office because the emotions are too much. You're going to have strategies to be able to keep those emotions in check and to be able to perhaps see through that fog so that you can make really informed choices. You know, choices is something I talk about with my clients a lot because if you feel you've only got one option, then you're stuck. If you feel you've got two options, then you've got a dilemma, and that's not much better. But if you can find three or more options, then you have real empowered choice. And you can really make informed choices. So, you know, getting the information that you need, gathering together the, the skills and resources that you've got and looking at, um, you know, working with a coach and a financial advisor and a lawyer and any other um, experts that you need to bring on in on your in your particular case will give you the best, um, the best background to to come out with the, the best outcome for you.
0: That's, um, yeah, that's a really useful advice. So I think maybe what we should do to what we like to do often to wrap up these sessions is as a final point for you, it'd be great for anyone who's been listening and taking all this in and all this brilliant advice that you've been giving them. What's the one top tip that you can give to people that if they're embarking on this process, they're going through a separation, it's just been hit on them or or they're planning to speak to their partner about it and they're about to deal with all this fear and all this uncertainty. What's the starting point? What should they do?
2: So I think the the really big thing for me is to focus on what you can control, rather than focusing on what you can't. Because when you focus on what's outside of your control, all you end up with is frustration. So really focus in on what you can control, and work on that. That's that's the the biggest thing for me. is It's all about control. Control your mind. Control um, your your behavior. Control your reactions. Um, and once you've got that sorted, then Um, the rest falls into place
1: amazing thank you so much claire for joining us you can find out more about the work that claire does supporting clients at www.claireblackcoaching.com also you can find her on instagram linkedin and facebook so that's it for this episode of stow talks thanks for listening if you would like more information on our podcasts head over to stowtalks.co.uk and please don't forget to rate like share and review this podcast where you can